0: Believe it or not, this is not just a video uh, with actors filmed on, or uh, uploaded on uh, YouTube. This is people that you work with. These are people that may be living down your street. People at the grocery store, the gas station. And believe it or not, there may be some of these people right here with us this morning. Mm -hmm. Welcome. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: We hope you can be yourself and test the Word of God and test what we're saying, and and uh, the, you came at the right series. Maybe you're watching online, maybe you're listening online. Uh, we started this summer series called "You Asked for It," and we did this on purpose, is because there's a lot of questions on the street about God and the Bible and Christianity and all this. and And the Bible says that uh, we read this last week that we are to give an account, be ready. To give an answer to people for the hope that lies within us, not just head knowledge, but heart relationship. And uh, last week we talked about uh, part one, the first question that we're uh, tackling is can the Bible be trusted? And the first part we looked at was our faith, first and foremost, is where does the Bible... If it can be trusted, where does the Bible fit in our own faith? And uh, Pastor Daniel brought to our attention, and uh, we kind of laid the foundation for today by saying, look, the Bible doesn't, uh, uh, or excuse me, Christianity doesn't exist because of the Bible. The Bible exists because of Christianity. Our faith in Christianity is only through faith in Jesus Christ and his resurrection. If his resurrection didn't take place, that means that his death and burial was not divine of God either. And so then that means we can just pack up and go home because our Christian faith really isn't true. But that's not the case. And so today, we're going to look at the second part of this question of can the Bible be trusted by looking at uh, the God of the Bible. Is the God of the Bible the same in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Because if you read it, there's a lot of different stuff going on. And there's some ugly, violent, gruesome passages, controversial passages in the Old Testament. And so we're going to grapple with you on that question. Now, we only have 36 minutes to do it. So we're expecting you to do your homework and actually go and challenge the Word of God. uh, Dig deep. And uh, seek the Lord in prayer and figure this out for yourself. Because really what matters is are you going to respond to the invitation of the God of the Bible to be in relationship with him or not? And you know, when you enter into a true relationship with someone, you want to have a relationship on trust. And so the first point of relationship is trusting that person. And so uh, we're excited to add a third party to the mix and to our staff full time, yeah. Jacob Kingsley and his new wife, they just got back from a honeymoon, Jordan, welcome and uh, we 're excited to have them uh, parents they 're going to be connecting with you soon he 's already doing stuff with the kids and they 're having a ball. but you know uh, Jacob, actually, Daniel and I were talking this morning and um, we we actually think you got it. I mean, you just graduated from Liberty, and uh, I mean, you're a scholar, so we're just going to go and sit down, and um, I think you're going to be great. We're going to listen and take notes, and I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Poor kid. Do you need to go change? Yeah, I probably. <laughs> oh, man. So, sorry to do that. That was your initiation. Okay. Okay. Um, and part part of it part two 's coming, uh, but anyways um, we 're going to try to address the ugly, the crazy, the confusing side of the Bible, and see how can a loving God, a righteous judge is this really of God? Did this really happen, and why now again we 're not going to cover every story there 's just no way to do that. We did do a series a year ago through the Old Testament, so if you need uh, some, uh, some refresher, you can go to our uh, website and you can download those messages. Um, but we, we have to address the problem in order to answer, can the God of this Bible be trusted? The problem is, how could the God of love that we sing about in Sunday school, how could the God that I grew up believing in truly order and orchestrate these horrific Horrible things. Something we heard uh, this week. If you, if you really believe that God is who he is, he is the author of life. He's the giver and taker of life, right? I mean, he has the final say. Yes, we deal with death uh, because of sin, which we're going to cover in a moment. But if you think about it, God is the taker of 50,000 lives a day. How do we rationalize that? And what we're going to do is we're going to filter this question through three things. Number one, we're going to look at the severity of sin. The severity of sin. Number two, we're going to look at the character of God. We cannot understand the Bible and how it all happens and why until we understand the heartbeat of the Father and his nature. And then last, we're going to kind of wrap it all together by looking at the redemptive plan throughout all of the Bible, and that hopefully will give us somewhat of an understanding Mm -hmm. to leave here and say, you know what, this God is true, and he is for me, he's not against me, and this is why all this happened, is for this, Mm -hmm. and so uh, could we just pray real quick? Father, um, we need you to guide this time, and I just pray you would open our hearts, open our minds, Uh, even, even those of us who are questioning right now, if this can really be real and trusted, uh, God, your word says that we can only come to a knowledge of your plan and your purposes for us through the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity. And so Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come and show us what we can't see in our own, uh, human minds. Reveal yourself to us, God, and may we respond in reverence and worship and a responsive commitment. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, the purpose of today. Daniel, would you mind just yeah, kind of...
1: um, I think the behind the question
0: of can the Bible be
1: trusted, especially as we're looking into the Old Testament, there's a question under the question. And I think that the real question is, like Phil was talking about, is how does a loving how do we reconcile a loving god with all of these scriptures that we see in the all these stories in the old testament and and so there's where the conflict lies that's where we're really trying to get down to if if this old testament god is this the same god of the new testament god and can we you know is it not a jekyll and hyde kind of thing is it not this is the god of judgment and this is the god of grace you know it's we believe that it's all the same god and so there's that conflict there and so we um kind of in a sense if lord permitting we kind of want to put God on trial a little bit today, and uh, which is amazing, the fact that we can actually do that. And we're still sitting here. I'm still sitting here. So far. Uh, so far, yeah. If the lightning comes down, you all can go home. And, uh, and we, know, I, if, we know the Bible is true. Yeah. If I can, before
0: we even go further, I think um, you know some of us may have not grown up in the, in, in the church and the teaching. So what we're talking about, we're going to tap into a few things. But we're talking about some of the ugly things that we're putting God on trial. For instance, um, you know, the flood. God annihilating, uh, uh, annihilating the surface of the planet and all, uh, all humankind except a handful of people and enough animals to repopulate the earth. Like, what, what is with that?
1: Yeah, and we also see the uh, conquest of Canaan. So the Israelites, God's people, come in and take over the land of Canaan, and it's, it's genocide. I mean, it's, it's women, it's, it's children, it's livestock, it's men, it's everybody. Uh, and they're all uh, conquered uh, by God's people. How do we reconcile that
2: and speaking of wholesale destruction like the story of sodom and gomorrah where there's so much you know evil god just calls down fire
0: and destroys these two cities mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, you know i watched the prince of egypt and it talks <laughs> no, i'm sorry in the bible in exodus uh it says about the plagues all the plagues <laughs> some people just got it um uh, talks about the plagues and uh how god was trying to get the attention of the egyptians to set his people free all the plagues and death, I mean, uh, the firstborn, all the firstborn except the uh, the Jews who had the uh, blood of the lamb over their doorposts. Uh, what is with all that? Like disease, killing, murder, uh, hundreds of thousands of lives.
1: And I think we just need to be cautious as we do this. Uh, one, we need to understand our own limited views and our own limited perspective uh, that even if we, if we take a snapshot of God, if we take a snapshot of a period in the Old Testament and then we judge God as a whole, we just need to be careful about that because we have a limited view. Uh, Phil had a really great example of this.
0: Yeah, um, I, I, I'm guilty of this as well, and, uh, but I mean, we know people who will take one passage of Scripture just to, uh, to, to make, make a statement or to say that their platform is true. Uh, this is dangerous. And even for us as Christians, just to take one passage and say, well, this is my point, and we take, like Daniel said, a snapshot, and we blow up God into this perception or persona that is not biblical or true to his character at all. It would be like me in the bathroom with my son, and someone walks in and sees me disciplining my son. And they walk out, and they start telling everybody in the church that I'm an abusive father. Is because they took a snapshot of me disciplining my son in the way that God has led me to discipline him, and they think that I'm acting out of anger and wrath, and it blows up to a whole situation. Well, they don't know what happened five minutes prior. They don't know the relationship and the bond that I have with my son. They don't see the fun that we're having at home, and the bliss and the joy and how secure he feels. They just see that moment. And so let us be careful not to do that with God. Mm -hmm. Let us look at everything because he is holy and he is perfect and he is righteous. And you know what? Our human minds cannot wrap themselves around his holiness. And so that's where we're going to start. So why don't you just take us right on into the severity of sin?
2: All right. Um, so for my first time teaching, I get to be the Debbie Downer um, and talk about how bad sin is and talk about the nature of sin.
0: Okay, good. Uh, Daniel, oh no,
2: I'm I'm kidding, go ahead. Um, And so, as we were just talking about these stories in the Old Testament, um, they have this theme of the sinful nature and just the depravity of man um, and everything. And so, you know, in the flood account, um, we saw how humanity is just increasingly wicked. The Bible says that every thought... Uh, that man could think of was evil. Um, That's a lot of thinking of evil. Um, More than a full-time job, they're putting in overtime and uh, how to be evil. Um, And with Sodom and Gomorrah, the Bible says that the Lord saw um, just how big the outcry against them was, that their sin was extremely serious. Um, Even the people groups that the Israelites drove out, um, the Bible says, and even archaeology can show that their acts of worship to their God um, were promoting child sacrifice, prostitution, and rape. And so these cultures are just running rampant with sin all throughout the Old Testament. Um, and even the Israelites were guilty of this as well. And so what I kind of wanted to talk about was what makes this sin, these acts, so bad that God almost always acts in such a strong and permanent way. And so, in order to truly understand the nature, of sin um, we have to go back to the very first sin which is in Genesis 3 and so the backdrop for this story is that God has just created the world and it's perfect and it's complete and he sees that everything in it is good Um, and he just gives Adam and Eve one rule um, and that's not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil well sometime later Satan in the form of a serpent comes to Eve and says, did God really say that you can't eat from this? And basically tempts her and says, you know, God just doesn't want you to eat this because then he knows that if you eat it, you're going to be just like him, that you're going to become gods. And so God is selfish. And so here's this fruit that you can take to become powerful. And Eve thinks about it, and she takes, and she, the Bible says when she sees that it's desirable to eat and it's pleasant, she eats it and she gives it to Adam. And so really in this first act of rebellion against God, Adam and Eve decided a couple of things. They decided that they knew better than God what was best for them. They decided that God was no longer enough for them. Mm. And they decided that what they wanted was more important than God himself. And so while it may have seemed like an innocent bite of fruit, I mean, we've all been eating fruit and nobody's writing about us. It's not the fact that they ate a piece of fruit. It was the inward inclination. It's beyond the action itself looking into the motives where the real sin exists. Um, in that, they rebelled against God and his perfect way for them. And so that sin put a divide and separation between humanity and God. It created an inability um, to form a real relationship with God. And this new sin was not just content to you know, separate Adam and Eve and then make them ashamed. It's affected every human ever born since then, it's affected our physical world, and it's affected all of humanity's ability to have a relationship with God. And so this sin is viral, like it's, it's like the most contagious disease, and when it latches on to a person, it seeks to consume everything and destroy everything. It does that by drawing us ever further away from all of the goodness of who God is, And so how many of you have seen this destructive pattern either in your life or someone who's close to you? I mean, I've definitely seen it in my own life where I think what I let is a little bit of sin into one little area of my life. And before I know it, that sin is trying to consume everything in that area of life and all the other areas of my life. And the Apostle Paul himself testifies this um, in Romans 1, verses 28 through 32. And he says, Because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. Mm. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters. They are arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. And he closes and says, Although they know full well God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they even applaud others who practice them. And so this isn't just one group of people in one situation that Paul is writing about. He's talking about all of humanity throughout all ages. He's describing us before Christ changed us and he's just showcasing the disgusting and debilitating nature of sin and so real quick I just wanted to give you five points about what sin is sin is an inward inclination a lot of times we can see the sin through actions but it starts with our heart sin is rebellion and disobedience to God and his character sin brings on spiritual disability it keeps us from that relationship with god and it keeps us from loving and acting towards others the way that god designed sin is the incomplete fulfillment of god's standards and sin is the displacement of god from his rightful place in our lives whenever anything in our life grows to be more important and more valuable than god himself that is sin and so sin is destructive as it separates us from god but god's love compels him to pursue us regardless. However, we can't enter into a relationship with God and draw close to Him in our natural sinful state. Mm -hmm. And so God must punish behavior that actively keeps the ones He loves from that relationship with Him.
1: I think um, that's awesome. That's great, Jacob. And I think that uh, one of the things that we don't really consider very often is just the destructive uh, nature of sin to humanity. The destructive nature to uh, to people around that sin, when it's, when it's full-blown, has uh, an opportunity to do and to devour. Um, I think about, like, none of us get upset that uh, the Germans lost World War II. We don't get upset about that because what uh, the Germans stood for, what they were indoctrinating, was just was awful against humanity. Think about it. Seven million Jews were killed in the Holocaust uh, during World War II. And there's actually... Um, there's a show called uh, The Man in the High Tower, and it kind of takes, uh, takes the what if. It's the what if we've lost World War II, and there is this scene in it where a guy is stepping out of his car, and it looks like snow is falling on him, and he's like, what is this? And the guy says that it's Tuesday, and that's when they uh, burn the bodies of the old people and the disabled people. That was what they stood for. They took away everything that was sucking against humanity, and they killed it. Uh, that was that was the sin that was allowed to go full-blown. Euthanasia was fine. Eugenics was okay. Abortion, genocide, racism, war. And so we don't get upset about that, but sometimes when we look back at the Old Testament, we, we see that, uh, we look at these people as just really innocent and not actually destroyers in humanity, that they were, what they did was actually killing and uh, taking away so many lives, and there's so many victims
0: as a re- result of their culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... It's destructive, it's viral, it's sin, okay? Let's not get confused, sin with God. And we're going to see that in a moment as Daniel takes the character of God. But here's, here's truth that needs to uh, eliminate myths. Uh, I, I hear a lot of times it's like, okay, uh, I have to do bad things to become a sinner. No, 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 no. You, you don't do sinful acts to be a sinner. You are a sinner, and therefore, you act sinfully. Mm -hmm. That is a big discrepancy, is we are born into a fallen world of sin, and therefore, our flesh and everything about us craves sin. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, of who God is, He doesn't owe us anything. God doesn't owe us anything, but we're going to see in a minute of his character of how he develops a plan to mm-hmm. conquer that mm-hmm. sin. But before we go forward, just think, think for a minute from that very first sin to where it's been viral and now still destructive for us in our culture and our world today. Think of the grieving, heart-stricken state of our God, the Father.
2: Yeah, and that's really what you have to ask yourself when looking at the Old Testament. Why is God acting the way that he is? And God just can't let that which assaults his character and destroy the world and people which he created go unpunished. I mean, this is really the reason for God's punishing actions is that sin is egregious and it destroys that which God created as good and holy. Yeah.
1: So as we kind of go into the character of God, I uh, just like I said earlier, I want to really proceed with caution. And it is crazy. It's crazy that we can kind of put his character up for debate, that we can put God on trial. I mean, think about it. Think about when, uh, if you ever get wrongly accused, if somebody posts something or somebody says something that is not you and not in your character, or they took a snapshot, like Phil was saying, and they, uh, and they judge your entire life because of it. How does that make you feel? What do you usually do? I mean, first, my response is to get all defensive and kind of defend myself, and then plan my attack. <laughs> Uh, the destruction of this person that's talking bad about me. Uh, And that's the knee-jerk reaction that we have. Uh, But think about how often we as humans in our limited understanding and our limited ability to see how often we bring accusations to the presence of God. And how does He respond to us? He doesn't feel insecure. He He doesn't get vindictive or defensive at all. He extends His love to us. He reaches out and extends his arms, and he wants to be in relationship with us. Mm-hmm. So, why don't we ask God himself? Mm. How would God himself describe his character? What would, he, what would he say? And to do that, we actually have a scripture that goes along with that. Moses is on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments. And uh, he just wants to be in relationship with God. He wants to see God face to face, and God's like, you can't. You've got sin, my holiness. It won't work. You're just going to die. And so he says, how about this? I'm going to put you in a rock. I'm going to put you in a cleft. And I'm going to pass by you. And you're going to see my afterglow. Like you're going to see my, like, my trails of glory. And, and so he, he does this. And when God walks by Moses, he announces his presence. And this is what God says in Exodus 30, uh, 34, 6 through 7. It says, the Lord passed in front of Moses calling out Yahweh, the Lord the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish lavish unfaithful love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I will lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected by sin. Even children in a third and fourth generation. So we could spend a lot of time just diving into that, but I wanted to just highlight two aspects of God's character, and the first is the slow to anger. See, often when we look at these Old Testament passages, we, we see the swift judgment. We see the worldwide flood. We see the destruction of the people of Canaan. We see, you know, uh, fire and sulfur raining down on Sodom and Gomorrah, and we, we envision God kind of on a whim, just killing thousands of people, However, when you look at the scriptures, you see that God was actually being very patient in his judgment. And even relenting just for the sake of a few. So when um, to kind of predict what was happening to the people in Canaan, God is actually giving Abraham a glimpse of his future in Genesis 15 and he's telling him about the slavery in Egypt that's going to happen, that, that his people, are that his descendants are going to be enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, but then they're going to return to the promised land, and it says this in verse 16. It says, after four generations, your descendants will return here uh, to this land, and then he says this really amazing thing. He says, for the sins of the Amorites did not yet warrant their destruction, which is kind of crazy. Like, God is saying that the sins of the people around us, and this is the same sins, that this is Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah hasn't happened yet. So the sins of the people do not warrant their total destruction, their total annihilation. So God waited over 600 years to give these people an opportunity to repent. These were the type of people, like Jacob said, that had no value for human life, that would sacrifice their children, would murder others, would commit all kinds of horrible acts. Against humanity, just for a good crop. However, it took them over 600 years to warrant their destruction. And I think we can get really abysmal about our country, but we're only or we're only 20, 241 years old. And think about that. Think about the wickedness that we hear of Sodom and Gomorrah, and God relented for 600 years. Wow. What about the time of Noah? You know the, the the Hebrew word for the people that are described in Noah's time is called is the Jewish word called mishit. Uh I want to pronounce that right. I don't want to mess it up, but uh, it could be bad. I've <laughs> had a few slip ups before. Uh, but the uh, the Hebrew word is Meshit, which actually means destroyers. So it said when God was going to destroy the people, He said He was going to destroy the destroyers, meaning that the people were so bad they were devouring and destroying everyone around them. Yet. The ark took 120 years to be built, so there was relenting, there was time in there. The one other characteristic I want to look at is the, is God that lavishes love to thousands and forgives sin and rebellion. You see, God desires that all of us would come to repentance, all of us meaning the world, not Americans. Uh, God is eager, is not just eager to punish Uh, people. If he was, then why would he give Abraham the chance to spare Sodom and Gomorrah, to intercede on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah if there's only 10 righteous people? If there's 10 righteous people, I will spare the cities. Uh, Or what about Rahab? Rahab was a Canaanite and a prostitute, but she feared God and she helped the Jewish people, so God spared her. Mm -hmm. And when God said we were going to destroy all of Jericho, she was spared. And you know what's really cool about Rahab is that not only was she spared, but if you look in the Bible, she's in the lineage of Jesus. So not only did was her life spared, she became a part of God's family. I mean, these are aspects of His character. I love the story of Jonah. Uh, I don't know if many many of you guys know the story of the big fish eat Jonah, spit him out kind of thing. Uh, but it's it's so great to see just God's character woven in this story. Now. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrians. Assyrians hated the Jewish people. They actually conquered the northern kingdom and uh, took over them and led them as captives, and then they even attacked the southern kingdom. So these are like their enemies. And God is telling Jonah to go to Nineveh, the capital, to pronounce judgment. And so first Jonah doesn't go, so he goes the other way. They throw him out of the boat. A fish eats him. He gets spit out on the land, and then he goes and he pronounces this judgment over the people of Nineveh. Now, Jonah's sermon is awesome. Uh, if Jonah was here, you guys would be gone way before we are here, since, uh, since we're on stage, though. But uh, uh, Jonah says, this is his sermon in Jonah 3, 4. It says, on the day that Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And then he dropped the mic and left. That was it. That was his whole sermon, right? He was, he was to the point. Uh, but what's amazing is that is that the city repented. And that over 120,000 people repented. And God doesn't send the destruction. And so Jonah's mad at God. He's mad at God for this. And he says this in uh, Jonah 4, 1 through 3. It says, uh, it says, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. And so he complained to the Lord about this. Didn't I say before I left for home that you would do this, Lord? And this is why I ran away to Tarshish. And then this is how Jonah describes God. He says, I knew that you were merciful and compassionate, God. You were slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. You were eager to turn back from destroying people. Kill me now. This is Jonah saying, kill me now, Lord. I would rather be dead than alive if what I predicted didn't happen. I mean, Jonah goes super emo, and he's just all upset that God didn't do this. Uh, but it's amazing, but God is translating to, to Jonah is that people matter, and that he loved these people, and that he was eager and wanted to forgive and wanted to show repentance. Second uh, Peter 3.9 says that the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. As some might think, no, he's being patient for your sake, for my sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. You see, just like Jonah, we have people that we would probably rather God kill than spare, if we're honest with ourselves. We have enemies as well. We have enemies here, but we also have enemies all over the world. And we would rather God just completely annihilate people. And God... And we get angry at God. We get angry at God for sparing these people. But what if this evil is still persisting in this world because God is really wanting that evil to actually repent and come back to him.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and with that, Daniel, is uh, a, a plug for next week. Many of you texted in the question of why does bad things happen to good people? Especially Christians and followers of Christ. Uh, Daniel's going to take the the awesome responsibility uh he actually don't feel bad for him he's excited about this and uh uh to present what what do we do with evil why is evil here and we need to understand that so that again we don't take the wrong snapshot and put it on god Mm -hmm. any any thoughts with you um
2: i think really uh a thought that coming out of that is, you know, the concepts of justice versus injustice. With a culture so driven by social justice movements, we want to see the right thing happen to the right people, and when we surface read those stories in the Old Testament, we just see this people group, and we assume that they're innocent, and they aren't doing anything, and it's really when you understand that you know they were destroying other people that they were like you said destroyers like that's what they're described as and so God's punishment on them wasn't an injustice to them but that he was just and so really understanding that context helps us understand that better
0: wow and so we've now taken uh very briefly the severity of sin and God's character and as we read the Old Testament, one thing we need to look at is his redemptive plan. In every passage, in every story, we need to see God's redemptive plan. That will give us his heartbeat and his perspective. Uh, from the b- very beginning, even when God knew that we, in our free will, was go- were going to choose to rebel against him and not worship the creator, but worship the creation and man themselves, uh, he, from the beginning of time, had his plan and purpose to redeem and to restore his own to himself. And uh, Wayne Grudem, author of Systematic Theology, says this. Uh, he says, When man failed to obtain the blessing offered in the covenant of works, uh, it was necessary for God to establish another means. So basically he's saying when it didn't work, the plan of people bringing sacrifices for their sins and the tabernacle where God wanted to dwell with his people, he had to do another plan. The rest of the scripture of the fall of Genesis 3 is the story of God working in our history the amazing plan of redemption whereby sinful people could come into fellowship with Himself. Just to kind of give you a glimpse of this without going into a lot of theology is this. There was a uh, true story. I'm just, just, just not sure how much has been exaggerated over the years. But there was this boy about age seven, lived along the Mississippi River. And uh, this boy loved spending his time playing outside uh, along the riverbanks. And he loved the water so much that he decided he was going to invest his time into making this miniature sailboat that he prided himself in, and he never left that sailboat side. And he was so proud of this masterpiece that he created with his own hands. So he would go out with pride and joy, and he would take that sailboat along the the banks of the river. Well, one day, something happened that he wasn't planning for, a wind... uh, got a hold of this little miniature sailboat sail and it directed and pulled it out into the middle of the river and the boy could not reach to it, reach it. He was desperate, he was in anguish. The boat that he made was now out of his grasp and the father, drinking his coffee one morning, looked out the window and saw the boy running desperately along the banks of the river, screaming and reaching out because he could not get to the sailboat. And it was very evident to the father that the sailboat Was not going to drift back to the boy who made that sailboat. And just imagine the feeling of this boy as the current of the river then took the sailboat and took it downstream all the way down to where the boy couldn't see it anymore. And he lost the thing that he created and thought was most precious. He was crushed, he was broken. And let's say three months down the road, the father actually takes the boy in town, which is, let's say, 35 miles downstream. Father had business to do. And so as they're walking down the streets in town, uh, they pass this pawn shop. And as the boy was just kind of looking at his surroundings, his eyes gazed along the window of this pawn shop, and there his eyes saw it. It was his sailboat. The sailboat that he made, the sailboat that he loved, and he was so thrilled that he broke the grass from his daddy's hand, rushed into the store, went right to the counter and said, Sir, 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 that boat, that, that, that boat in the window, that's mine, I made it, can I have it? And the owner said, No, that's mine, I bought it. You can't have it. And he said, Well, he said, No, 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 you don't understand. I made this boat. You see this mark? You see this color? I did that. And the owner said, well, you'll have to buy it back then. And the boy just crippled over with with such brokenness because he had no money. He couldn't buy back the sailboat. And the father from afar watched this desperate situation unfold. And the father went to the son and gave him money to buy that boat back. And I tell you what, it was priceless because as that father walked out with his son, he saw his son all of a sudden walk with his head up high. And with pride, he held that sailboat, clenched it to his chest, and then the father wasn't expecting what happened next. The boy started to speak to the sailboat. And he said with such glee on his face, I made you once. And I bought you once. And now you're home. That is redemption. That is redemption. I mean, just think about it for a minute. God, the creator, took pleasure and joy in making us in his image. And then all of a sudden this curse of sin, this wind, this gust of wind took us away from his grasp. It took us into far off foreign waters. And the curse of that sin brought destruction upon us. Pain, death, hate, rape, you name it. It's because he lost grasp from us and we were separated from him. And the curse brought thorns There was no thorns in the Garden of Eden until sin came in. The curse was thorns. And you know what? The Father wanted so badly for us to be restored because that was his plan, that he actually took the curse, which is thorns. And do you know what fell on his son's head? Head was thorns. A crown of thorns pierced his brow, and he shed his blood, and he died on the cross, and he paid full. He didn't have money and currency, but he had his life. And he laid down his life for us. That's redemption. He brought us back to where he can say, I made you once. And I bought you once. And if you will let me have you and let me in, you will be home. How cool is that? Just one Old Testament story, so you see redemption in the Old Testament There is a man named Hosea, and God calls to Hosea, a prophet, to marry a prostitute. Not just a prostitute, but her name was Gomer. (laughs) Word to the wise, we're not going to name our daughter Gomer, okay? (laughs) Um, But anyways, so he goes to the whorehouse, and he goes and takes Gomer as his wife. He redeems her. And he takes her home, and they have a family. But guess what? She's drawn to that lifestyle. She misses that recognition. She misses that pleasure of some sort. And so she goes back to prostitution, and she finds this man uh, that is going to take care of her. And here Hosea pleads with Gomer to come back, but she insanely does not. So something crazy drew Gomer back to this sinful state. Now eventually this lover that takes care of Gomer. Yes, this is in the Old Testament. Read it. Uh, he gets tired of her. And he actually goes to sell her to the sex trade. And here's then what happens. Uh, even after, uh, before that, I missed a point. Uh, Hosea, while she was with that lover. She, he actually sends money to that lover to take care of Gomer. And so after the lover uh, is done with her, the Lord appears back to Hosea and said, here's your second assignment. Go and buy her back. Don't just take her. Buy her for what she's worth. And so he had 15 shekels. 15 shekels was half of the cost of a slave in that day. So he didn't have the means. So guess what he did? He bartered. Bushels of barley. uh, And what else was it? Wine. Wine. So he bartered everything he had, he was going to lay on the line to buy her back. Why in the world would that be in the Old Testament? Why in the world would God allow this to happen? It's because he was setting the stage for the Israelites to understand his redeeming heart and his plan of redemption. You see, all through the Old Testament, God is saying, Israel, you are my people. You know what that says to us today? It's just telling us Israel is the bride of Christ. That's what Israel is. It's the bride of Christ. We're part of that Israel plan if we have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So we can look through the Old Testament and see the redemptive plan of God's love and protection and provision upon Israel reflecting the bride of Christ. That's what it's about. What dad in here would not protect their son? In their bed. If someone came in at night. There's a thought for you. What would you do? What length? What distance would you go? To protect and preserve. And to love the family that is yours. God loves his bride. He laid down his life for his bride. And he protects. And provides. And preserves his bride. And so. We can rest assured all the way through the Old Testament, all the way to the book of Revelation, and even now in 2017, and even when Jesus comes back to get his bride and return us to himself, we can rest assured that God's love will never fail. John 3.16, say it with me if you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you believe that? Because if you believe that, you will believe and trust in the Bible and the God of the Bible. Because his plans are for good. His promises will never fail. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. Romans 8. And so as we close, let us focus on 1 John 3.1. It says, How much our Father loves us, for he calls us children, and that is what we are. We're children. We're the bride of Christ. We're Israel. That he has lavished his love on us. So the question is, since the Bible is true, the God of the Bible loves us, radically loves us, which involves protecting, uh, preserving, punishing sin, dealing with sin. Um, Can we really trust this Old Testament then? How do we make sense of this? How do we wrap it up? So I think uh,
2: as you're talking about that redemptive plan, God's plan since the beginning of time was to redeem the world through Jesus Christ. Um, and he chose Abraham and his descendants um, to, to bear that lineage for Jesus. And so as we see in the Old Testament, sometimes God, you know, um, ordering the Israelites to conquer other nations. He is protecting that redemptive line, that redemptive thread that would ultimately rescue the world and offer that salvation and the other thing that we have to keep in mind is sometimes when we see God punishing sin it's just that and we have to rest assured that God is the same every day that his holiness means that he sometimes just has to punish sin and that kind of gives that backdrop towards his grace and how incredible a gift that grace is because we know that according to his character sin must be punished
1: it's really good for us to also know that the uh, New Testament is the, uh, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. When Jesus said that you see me, you've seen the Father. When you see the way I act, when you see what I teach, when you see what I value, you see what the Father, how the Father acts, what the Father values. And and so it's really important for us to, as we read through the Old Testament, as we read through these uh, scriptures, is that we we use the lens of Jesus. We use that lens so that we can understand it a little bit more. It's just like the snapshot. If we take the Old Testament by itself, it's just incomplete. It's a cycle of sin that never breaks, which many of us can identify with, which I can identify with. But when we, when we add it with the redemptive plan, when it comes to fruition, when Jesus died and when he rose from the, from the dead, we get to see the whole picture. We get to see God's plan from the start, from the beginning. The first prophecy of Jesus is Genesis 3. Yeah. He will crush Satan's head. He will crush sin's head. He will crush the power of sin. But he will also be bruised. He will also lose his life. And so, God had set in motion already a plan to redeem humanity. And so, when we read the Old Testament, it's good to have that perspective. It's good to have that lens when we see that he is actually, uh, he's loving. He's loving in this. And he's slow to anger. Uh, I he was mm-hmm. slow he was slow to anger for me yeah. because I deserved it. Yeah. I can mm-hmm. think of so many times where you know I could have driven off the road i should I could have gotten in a car accident because I wasn't doing what I should have done mm-hmm. and he was slow to anger for me, mm-hmm. yeah. and it wasn't so that evil would persist. He was slow so that mm-hmm. I could come to repentance yeah. Yeah. and so that humanity can come to repentance and reconciliation yeah. to God. Mm-hmm. James. Romans
2: 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we see in the Old Testament that while the world and humanity as a whole were still sinners, God was working out that plan of redemption.
0: Wow. And so we see the invitation from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation. We see the invitation of God saying, I have done everything for you. I have bridged that gap through my son, Jesus. Will you cross over? Will you have relationship with me? Jesus said, I'm the way. I am the way to the Father. That's why I came. I am the truth. I am the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he says, I am the life. Apart from me, you can do nothing And apart from a relationship with me, you cannot have an eternal relationship. And so I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes wherever you're at as the worship team comes on up. You're safe here. Push out all distractions, even if it's my voice. Push it out and listen to his voice. I want to ask you, and I'm even going to open the floor for Jacob and and Daniel to jump on in because we're just going to be sensitive to the spirit here where are you in this have you have you read the invitation do you know that god is who he says he is can you trust that the bible is true and if you trust those two things then you have to admit that there Is a response required? How are you going to respond to that invitation? Are you going to make it a personal relationship with God who loves you? Who has made it very clear that there is nothing you could ever do, ever say. There is no distance that you could travel down that river stream to where he can't find you. Jesus even says, I stand at the door of your heart and I'm going to knock and knock and knock. He doesn't force himself on you. If you would just open the door to my love, I will come in and be with you forever. We don't know when this physical life's going to end, church. I hope you have a long and prosperous and healthy life, but God could call you home Today. Are you prepared? And the only thing that you need to bring with you is a relationship with Jesus that is the only thing that is going to get you into the kingdom of God forever. And that's why he came. So, if you're hearing my voice today and you just don't know if you have a relationship with Jesus, can I just make it very theological for you? Ask. Just ask him to come in. Ask him to show himself to you. Ask him to reveal his word to you. And he says he is faithful and just. He is faithful and true. If, like that sailboat, you just wandered away and drifted down in sinful patterns, God's just saying, just turn, just come back to me. Let me brush you off. Just like the prodigal father, the prodigal son, he's going to run your direction and he is going to grab you and hold you and love you. Just come back to him. Let us respond in worship, shall we? Everybody please stand with us.